What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Pozvon, and you are listening to part three of episode 18 of VGM Generations. With me, as always, is Aaron Balauchuk. Rumpf. And Norm Garrett. Hey, guys. <laughs> Just Smooth. making noises into the mic. Uh, and in this series of episodes, we are talking about RPGs. And it is Aaron's turn to go first. My so. turn to start. Yes, it is. Okay. So well, what do you have for us? <laughs> I've got a game that I've already talked about. Why not? But Why not? Good RPG. It's a good one to talk about because the music is so extensive and so good that I want to talk about Undertale again. And it's a good time to talk about Undertale because the it was just re-released on the PlayStation 4 and the Vita. Oh, I did not. Just came out the day before yesterday. Did it come out on the Switch as well? It did not. Oh, okay. It should be on the Switch. Is it coming to the Switch? There are no announced plans for it to really? come to the Switch, but it absolutely mm. should. I bet it will. Thing is, is Eventually. Like, Undertale's not a new game, right? It came out in 2015. Yeah. So it came out before the Switch was popular. So they weren't really banking on it at yeah, that yeah, time. Yeah. So that's not to say it couldn't. I mean, the Switch is getting a lot of other big indie releases, your Minecrafts and whatnot. So Very good. Who's to say that Terraria won't... Sh- not Terraria, <laughs> that Undertale. <laughs> I got Terraria in my head. Yeah. Uh, that Undertale won't show up. But yeah, just released on the PS4 and Vita. Uh, currently available for the PC and the Mac. And since I've already talked about this, I'm just going to give a very light amount of uh, details on it and then talk about, <laughs> this is going to be a character-specific spotlight episode. So the track I picked was called Bone Trousel, the game of Undertale, of course, developed by Toby Fox, published by Toby Fox, and composed by Toby Fox. The one-man magician. Yeah. And the song Bone Trousel, which is one of six songs that was written by Fox for other projects, so wasn't actually written for Undertale, was written for something else, and then made its way into Undertale. And it's a great song. It's actually the uh, it's an, it's one of the boss fight songs, and it's actually an amped up version of another song. The other song is called Nyehe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's funny. this is the and that's like the first part of a boss fight with a character called Papyrus okay and this the song Bone Trousel is sort of when he unleashes his major attack and it's an amped up version of that song is it his final form you could say it's his final form as, as final form <laughs> well he does have several forms which I'll, I'll talk about so first of all um, I'll talk about Undertale. So Toby Fox, his development background was that he worked on a few Earthbound ROM hacks in high school. I think he was like a moder- moderator on an Earthbound forum, and he produced some ROM hacks of Earthbound. And the uh, Undertale is strongly, strongly inspired by the whole Mother series, particularly Earthbound. Also heavily influenced by the Mario and Luigi series, the bullet, bullet hell shooter, the Tohu Project, and Mr. Bean, of all things. Like the movies? No, you like the guy, like the guy. Mr. Bean, yeah, the, the, character. the series. Okay. The, the TV, <laughs> British TV series. That's funny. So not a video game. That one was yeah. not apparent to me. The other ones yeah. make sense. Yeah, I, I was going to say. <laughs> it was, I, I read that and I like, maybe it must be just the humor style yeah, more than maybe. anything else. Yeah. I guess. And it's hard to head stuck in a turkey and stuff. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> and it is, it is a funny game. Um, the song Bone Trousel, possibly influenced by a song called Unfounded Revenge, which was uh, from the game Mother 3 for the Game Boy Advance. So Mother 3 for the Game Boy Advance was only released in Japan, was never actually released in North America. Yep. Much to the chagrin of, of Mother fans. Mother fans, yes. yes. Uh, and when I heard, I actually wanted to listen to the song Unfounded Revenge um, because it was supposed to influence this song. And it was so good, I almost totally abandoned the song Bone Trousel in favor of this song as well. Of, oh, really? In, in favor of the uh, Mother, 3, Mother song. 3 song. 
it is a really good song. So maybe in the future, who knows? I've never played Mother 3 and I probably never will, but uh, good music. I think there's there's got to be a fan translation out there by now. Like maybe. never officially released in North America, but I'm sure like because there was fan translations of Mother the first game long before there was yeah. long before it was ever released by Nintendo. And I think it would actually be easier for them to do this being a Game Boy Advance game. So just a, a yeah. cartridge game, something that I think the fan community would be all over. So probably exists for sure. So uh, without further ado, let's listen to Bone Trousel from Undertale. played i think maybe 10 minutes of undertale so far i own it i just haven't gotten into it it's one of those ones i'm saving for a rainy day and um, it's one of those ones you can like i do suggest you actually sit and do it in an entire sitting yeah it'll I, probably take about five hours okay yeah and th- but this song i i know this song just it's one of those earworms that's yeah. kind of proliferated uh, just internet culture yes right yeah. now so it, it's it's awesome yeah, I, I do like this song and the character of Papyrus in particular. And I wanted to, because I don't want to do spoilers. Like I said, this game just came out on PlayStation 4 and Vita and there's people out there. I don't want to do spoilers to the game. But, so I just want to talk about the character who you fight in this song, the character is, of Papyrus. Is he the one that looks like a skeleton pirate? He is a skeleton, more like a skeleton knight than a skeleton pirate. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah he, has, uh, he has armor. He's like a breastplate and a cape. Yeah, and I've seen him for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've seen him because there's two major skeleton characters from the game. There's Sans and Papyrus and they're brothers. Oh, okay. And, okay, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. They're font names. They are font <laughs> names. <laughs> well, with and um so not only their font names, but uh during development of Undertale, Papyrus's name was in the development version actually Times New Roman. <laughs> <laughs> that almost would have been funny. <laughs> And an interesting uh, fact about that, too, is that all of Papyrus's dialogue appears in Papyrus font, also in all uh. caps. So he talks in all caps in Papyrus font, and his brother Sans talks in Comic Sans. Of course. And all in undercase. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and while I'm talking about Sans and Papyrus, there actually may be a secret third brother in the game that is alluded to in the code of the game and can only be encountered by modifying game files. This is a fan theory that people have like picked apart within the game. Has anyone actually done it yet? Well, yeah, people have like picked the game apart looking for but this I mean, character like, called they, like, W.D. Gaster is the name of this character, okay. this mysterious character. Has anyone like quote unquote unlocked him yet though? Like they, they found that something is in the game files, but have they like seen the character? Well, yes, kind of. Okay. <laughs> it's speculated that they have by modifying, by very like modifying the game code and very like specific Actions within uh, the actions game. Actions within the game. Yeah. yeah. You can actually encounter a character that is suspected to be WD Gaster, but there's no real details. So that's this big, hmm. like, swirling 
thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh I, I don't know if controversy. I controversy. Yeah, I don't think I wrote it down, but uh, I was looking into this because I was reading in the wiki for Undertale and it kept talking about you would encounter certain things if you had a certain fun quotient, like fun number. And I'm like, what the hell's fun fat, fun number, fun quotient? And it turns out that when you start the game, you're randomly assigned a number between one and a hundred. And that's like your fun number. And random things will happen in the game based on what this number is. So if you're within a range, like say you're like one to 10 and you're in a certain room in the game, there's a small chance that a character will call you on your cell phone and try to order a pizza or something just weird, weirdly <laughs> random like that. It's like a luck stat. Then, it's like a luck stat. Yeah. 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 But, and, and the thing is, even if you have that certain stat, there's no guarantee that you're going to encounter this thing. Now, if you have a fun number of 66, specifically <laughs> 66, a secret door appears in the game. And if you enter that door, there's a character standing there. And when you approach them, their uh, face changes and it looks kind of like a skeleton. They don't speak. You can't interact with them. They're just there. And then all of a sudden when you get close, their face changes to like this horrifying cracked skull sort of face and then they disappear. Creepy. It is super creepy. Like the whole thing behind this is like is pretty That's, creepy. So is there any way to know what your fun number is? Only by modifying the game files. You actually have to, to go like in display the text it somewhere. Yes, you have oh. to actually go into the text editor and look at the file and see what the number is. And that's where you can actually modify it too. How bizarre. It is super bizarre. And then there's like different numbers where you can find these characters called the followers of Gaster who will actually like say things about him. But again, like only if you have a specific fun number on your game. Can you modify your fun number? You can go into the like Code. text editor and yeah, uh, actually change it from like it. a random to a static number. And then you mm. have to modify it like before a certain save file so you can actually see these these specific this, things. It's weird. But and this is like something that can only happen with like more modern games or more like where developers know that people are going to start looking into the game code. Like back yeah. in the day, like people looked at game code but only in the most, you know, basic of ways and then yeah. now it's like now now like um just to bring up like kind of an analogous thing so the nes classic when it came out it was like i don't know three weeks people had that thing totally maybe less people had that thing totally cracked open and were able to load their own rom files onto it and then a couple weeks after that somebody was looking through like all of the code on the nes classic and found a little signature and i can't remember the name right now and it's killing me but um it was basically said like uh if you're reading this, please be nice to me and don't break me or something like that. It was something along <laughs> yeah. those lines, but uh, they knew that people were going to go in and try and break it, right? So they left a little message for them. Yeah, and with Undertale, I don't think anyone specifically knows if he put that in there like for people to find as like an Easter uh, egg. Or I would secret. bet he did. Um, the speculation is that it's unused content. It was stuff that he was writing into the game, was supposed to be part of the game proper, yeah. and then got cut at some point. Just so there's just remnants mm. of, of just this code in there. Yeah. So it's not known whether it's like, did he put it in there as an Easter egg for people to dig through and find? Or is it just old code that, you know, got left behind some somewhere? I've heard in a lot of GBA carts, they did stuff like that where, or like people have found stuff like that where they find character files or even character models that aren't in the game, yeah. but they're in the code. And then sometimes there was something about they had to fill the cartridge. So sometimes they would just like copy paste like random stuff in. So I, I can't remember what game it was, but there's a Mario game. One of the Mario games on the GBA cart it like didn't fill it up. So they just had like ASCII art of Mario and it's in there like a billion times just yeah. to fill out the card. Yeah. <laughs> and you hear about this stuff all the time too with like, I, it's not just Undertale. I hear of games all the time where it's like, we found this sprite of this character, which 
we know of, but I guess was supposed to be playable at one point. Yeah. You actually have like a walk cycle that's in the game for this character. And, you know, it was never actually used, but here it is. So again, I just want to talk a bit about the character you're fighting, Papyrus. So we talked about he's a skeleton in an ar- in armor and a cape. He's originally portrayed to you as an antagonist. He's trying to capture you. But before long, it's actually revealed that he's kind of a, a big inept goofball. And you end up befriending him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at one point, and I want, this is really why I wanted to bring this up. Um, you go, there's another boss battle with Papyrus, but it's presented like a date. You actually go on a date with the character of Papyrus. <laughs> and it's a three-part boss battle or a three-part date, if you will. And the, Dinner, movie, and then afterwards? Well, it just, it, the, the, you go into this date and it's presented like a fight. So actually you've okay. got you know, him up, up in the screen and your whole fight interface. And the music changes through the different phases of this date, like like a three-part boss battle. And it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. great. Like each part of the music <laughs> is really, really good. And he also changes what he, uh, he changes out of his armor and his uh, boots and everything into what he calls a secret style for the date, which includes a backwards baseball cap and a t-shirt that says cool dude on it. Yeah. <laughs> very 90s. Very, very 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another fun fact about Papyrus is that he loves to cook spaghetti, but has never eaten any himself. He's never had spaghetti in his life. And after you befriend Papyrus in the game, you can call him anytime on your in-game cell phone, and he will give his thoughts, random thoughts, on the room that you're currently in. This serves no purpose to the game. It doesn't help you with the game. It's just just there. For fun. And it's every single room room in the game. You can call him any other And it has a different line. (laughs) It has like a different line. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's a lot of work to put that in there. Yeah, well, I mean, this game was originally supposed to come out, I can't remember the year. It was like 2013, 2014. And then it got like ridiculously delayed when uh, after the Kickstarter went through and yeah. he, uh, he, he was in development of this game essentially by himself for a really, really long time. So all of this ridiculous content, one man team. Crazy. Yeah. It's, it's always amazing. Every time you talk about Undertale, I'm like, man, I don't even like RPGs that much, but I should play Undertale. It just <laughs> and, sounds like fun. And it's not really a traditional RPG. Even if you're not a huge fan of RPGs, I, I recommend it. It's not a long game. It's not a hard game, it's, yeah. but it's a really good one. And it's one of those games that, Maybe you don't get into it in like the first little bit, the intro, the uh, first hour or so. But once you actually get far enough into the game, it's one of those ones that just grabs you and is like, oh, I get this game. Yeah. And this is great. I love this game. You don't love it until you love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Uh, that is on to me now. And uh, this week I am talking about the game that inspired Undertale. I'm talking about Earthbound. So very, very appropriate. So uh, the track I picked was Ness's Bike is what it's called. Um, this game was developed by Ape Inc. and HAL Laboratories, uh, published by Nintendo. And um, usually I don't include the day of the of its release, but it was actually released on my birthday, June 5th, huh. 1995. So like I, your, I your actual birthday, my actual birthday. Yeah. So um, I didn't know, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and then it was com- the music was by uh, Kechi Suzuki and uh, Hip Tanaka, who we talked yes. about hip or chip Tanaka. <laughs> Hirokazu Tanaka, um, who we've talked about lots of times. So uh, just to get into a bit of the composition, um, the uh, there's actually been lots of uh, great interviews uh, with uh, Mr. Suzuki since he composed that game. This game was, uh, when it came out, was a huge hit in Japan, but didn't actually, when it first came out, hit as big in 
North America when they released it as Earthbound. Um, it was released as Mother 2 in Japan. Um, Mother was a pretty good success, and so then when Mother 2 came around, it was again, it was again a big success, but it uh, didn't hit as big there. But, so, but in Japan, because it was so famous, he's done lots of interviews. So uh, one of the things he talked about was like the biggest difference between Mother 1 and Mother 2 was just how much more power the Super Famicom had. Um, so he went from being able to use three notes at a time uh, plus two sounds. So there's five total like sounds uh, that you can make, but he was given three notes and then two were used for game sound uh, to having eight notes. And um, the Famicom just had like basic waveforms and then he went up to ADPCM. So for any of you, uh, maybe people like Norm, uh, that stands for Adaptive Dif Differential Pulse Code Modulation, which basically is a fancy way of saying you can make more sounds <laughs> <laughs> and more different sounds. Um, it's adaptive. It's adaptive. Right there indeed. The uh, so um, he said basically what this did for him was it gave him the ability to make music that was much closer to uh, his desired vision and it and it allowed him to make it sound a bit more jazzy, which is kind of what he wanted for the first game, but due to his limitations, he couldn't really get that across. Um, one of the things that he said in one of the interviews is that he thinks that this might be the first game ever to use uh, vibrato in in like a game soundtrack. So I don't know. I, I didn't. I that didn't verify that. But that's that was and Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link on the NES uses vibrato. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's wrong. <laughs> I right call right. BS. On but that. that's hey, that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> so when he did the when he did the music for this game, uh, what he would do is he composed first on just a th a synthesizer that sounded sort of like the Super Famicom, and then he would bring the files to the programmers, and they he would work with them to make it sound you know as close as he could. Um, in total, the composition team, uh, they figured that they wrote over a hundred pieces of music, but a lot of it didn't even make it into the game. Um, so, and then this game is, uh, supposed to be a bit of a, uh, strange mashup of American and Japanese culture. And if you've ever played it or even seen it, mm -hmm. you know that that's true. Yeah. I played like the first hour of this game about four times. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it is, it's a very like bizarre mashup because it feels like it feels like, you know, maybe like Japantown in San Francisco or something. There's like, there's a lot of Japanese influence, but then there's also like this weird American influence all well, over the place. It's all like small town America, white picket fences and like this boy exactly. with a baseball bat yeah. and a baseball cap. Yeah. And like, it's all American <laughs> police. And it's like clearly supposed to be America. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's America as seen through the lens of, of Japanese. Japanese culture. Exactly. Right? So uh, because of that, they wanted the music to sound American or at least... Uh, American influence. So um, they, Suzuki stated uh, John Lennon um, and um, his music, because John Lennon, a lot of his music uh, uh, was focused on the theme of love. And he felt that this game also had that same theme. We'll um, see if we hear a lot of John Lennon influence in Ness's bike. Not in Ness's bike, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe in some of the other pieces. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll go into that in a second. Um, he wanted that. Uh, Beach Boys was a big influence and also Randy Newman. Um, the game actually has, uh, some direct, like basically we've talked about this a lot in the past where uh, musicians borrowing, yeah, borrow <laughs> yeah. a tune. So, um, uh, Chuck Berry and the Beatles, like there's songs from both of those artists that are like pretty much direct yeah. rip offs, rip offs in the game. Um, and I originally, uh, fans thought that that was what was causing its re-release. So like it came out as earthbound and then it didn't get a release on like on eShop or anything for years and years and years. And it was just on the Wii U recently that it was re-released. And, um, 
people thought the delay was because the music. They thought that might the licensing issues might be the huh. problem. But uh, it was later confirmed from somebody at Nintendo that that wasn't the case. They just thought, I guess, uh, the writer in the article that I read speculated that like Nintendo just figured it wasn't a it wasn't close enough or like they wouldn't care enough that it would be an issue. So yeah. I just thought of a really elaborate and terrible way too long joke regarding this is in that. <laughs> well, you, you got to tell it now. I got to tell it now, but it's, it's, it's really bad that uh, Chip Tanaka, he goes back in time and he takes earthbound with him and he's playing it. And these people are actually watching him and listening to the music. And one guy's like, Oh man, he's calling on the phone. He's like, <laughs> This is your cousin Marvin. Marvin Berry, you got to listen to this. And then he holds it up to Earthbound. And that's where Chuck Berry got that's it. That's where. <laughs> oh, wow. A little terrible, back to the future terrible. jokes there for you. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that was bad. That's the scene in my head, anyway. No. That was fantastic. Um, so, um, Suzuki has actually stated that his uh, favorite tune uh, is, the, is the bicycle music. And um, just like you just said with Undertale with the song we just listened to, uh, he actually composed this before long before he composed for mother too. So, but he just felt it fit and then he threw it into the game. Um, so, uh, two more things before we play the music. One, uh, I have to state for the record that this is a, what I've called in the past, a Steph's pick. So this was actually <laughs> my girlfriend, Stephanie Worth played this game. And this was something that she was like, you have to put this in the episode. And she's like, I'm going to listen. I'm going <laughs> to listen. And I'll know if you don't say that. Yeah. So uh, I have to mention that it is a Steph's pick. And uh, number two, uh, the Trademark. quote. Yeah, exactly. The quote, uh, when you get the bike in the game is writing, this makes you feel like whistling. You can even ring the bell by pressing the R button. So let's have a listen to Nessa's bike from Earthbound. Gonna ask, what were you saying about favorite food? I was just asking what your guys' what favorite I, food is when you played it. But. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's, what, that's what it was. I wasn't like the, one of the default names of one of the kids, wasn't it? Were they named Pooh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, by yeah, there was yeah. Pooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you know, countless kids after that. So, what's your favorite food? <laughs> Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so, um. From listening to the game, obviously, it sounds like whistling the song. So I think that's why they put that in there. And I, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was I drove Steph crazy 
when while I was preparing for this episode by whistling this tune constantly. <laughs> so she's like, I don't even like it anymore. <laughs> so so um, no longer a Steph's pick. Yeah, exactly. Get stamp of approval back. That's right. You can peel it off. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is just the bike, like in the game, like how, why it's kind of a weird item. So uh, you obtain obtain the bike in the puncture shop in Tucson, which is like the second level of the game. Um, but the weird part about it is you can only ride it while you're alone. And one of the major parts of this game is getting a team together. So as soon as you get your team together, the bike becomes useless. The bike also becomes useless if you hold a teddy bear in your inventory for some reason. I guess I guess the <laughs> developers fit in thought the that you could basket. Yeah. yeah, or or you couldn't hold it under your arm and pedal at the yeah. same time. I don't know. But or in your probably backpack. just a weird bug. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you can't hold a teddy bear, but it's a teddy bear or like some other thing that like sounds like a teddy bear. Hmm. It's like a fuzzy bear toy or something like that. Uh any sort of teddy bear no bike for you. Um, why? I just don't understand why when you get the bike, they didn't give the rest of your party bikes. Couldn't everybody have a bike? I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then the other thing is once you get a bike, once you get a, a single party member, if you walk back into the bike shop, um, you can return the bike, hmm. which frees up a, a slot in your inventory. And so I guess that's really useful. A lot of people didn't know really that for a long time. To not have the bike. Well, because it's useless to you anyway. Yeah. So it's just like now you actually have a free spot in your inventory again. Um, and then the Japanese name of the shop is a pun as a commune. Uh, so punk means it refers to the seller's appearance, but it also means flat tire in Japanese. Hmm. So <laughs> and then uh, the last little fact I have is uh, I was reading um, Famitsu, Weekly Famitsu, uh, uh, which is like the major video game publication in Japan. Um, they used to put out like like a little weekly, like five page little magazine thing. And uh, it, from an interview in there, and I didn't find this anywhere else, but from an interview in there, Suzuki said his voice is in the game somewhere and asked readers to try and find it. And I couldn't find anything online where people had said, this is where his voice is. Huh. Well, mm. I mean, I know that when you, even at the intro, when you're inputting stuff, there's like this very garbled, mumbly kind of voice that oh, okay. like is it, like basically when you either approve or like say yay or nay to something and yeah. it, it moves to the next screen, it'll like play this confirmation sound hmm. that sounds like a mumbly voice, but that's right in the intro. So I can't yeah. imagine that if that was it, people would be talking about Maybe it. Maybe that was his voice. I don't know. Mm. Like, and then the whole thing, there's a big thing about your dad in this game, right? Norm, you've played this game then? Uh, no, I haven't. I've played just a bit of it. where you put in your favorite food. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I know that like your dad sends you money in this game and then you can go to a bank to collect it. So every time, I think every time like you level up, uh, your dad sends you some money and <laughs> then you can go to the bank to collect <laughs> it and stuff like that. So maybe the dad, he's the dad voice. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe that's what the grumbly voices at the beginning of the game is the dad voice. I'm not sure. Could but be. Anyway, his voice is somewhere in there. So if anyone knows, I, cu I couldn't find it. But if anyone who's more of an Earthbound fan uh, knows where it is, let us know. Yeah. Tweet at us. And uh, one more story I want to tell is my, sure. my, one, my Earthbound regret. And I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before, but my great Earthbound regret. Uh, you told me. I don't know if yeah, you told it on the podcast. Which is that uh, in about the year 2001 or so, so this is long after the game came out. I was in yeah, like six years, uh, like six years after it came out. I was in a, uh, there was a department store in Canada called Zellers. Now, for the people dead who, and gone. now long, long gone, but it was like a discount department store kind of thing. You're like a Kmart ish kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And I didn't really know much about earthbound at the time. I was walking through the store one day and I 
picked up a boxed sealed copy of Earthbound that was sitting on the end of an aisle, the discount thing. It was probably about 12 bucks. And I held it in my hand and I said, huh, Earthbound on the Super Nintendo. I think I've heard of this and I didn't buy it. I put it back down and I walked away and I absolutely, that's, that's like one of my, yeah. That's the one that got away. That's, That's the big one. regret right there. So. <laughs> that would have been worth so much money. I know. Now. I think box copies go for hundreds of dollars now. Yeah, and it was sitting there. Like, it was something they were ready to throw away. Yeah. You know. uh, I was at, sad. Yeah. I was at Sentry Box just a couple of days ago, and I noticed they have video games there now as well. Usually they've just, it's, you know, a comic book store, yeah. games and whatnot. But now they have video games. Um, and they had a bunch of box, Super NES, NES games. I looked at them and they almost looked like they'd been rewrapped. I don't want to call anyone out on this. I just, I was <laughs> fire beware. I didn't see all the prices. So yeah. yes, but. you do have to be careful with that. I've seen that yeah. happen for, for before for sure. Like people will rewrap and like they'll buy like the heat shrink machine. Yeah, exactly. So it looks brand new, but it's actually rewrapped. Yeah, it, so they could be, the boxes were definitely in good condition. I think they had an earthbound. They had a Mario paint for yeah. sure, which was, Kind of cool. And the yeah. only reason I picked up Earthbound in the first time is because I remember picking it up and saying, a Super Nintendo game, this box is unusually large because it's not, it wasn't a standard size Super Nintendo box either. It was oh, yeah. big. I think there, um, I was looking at the box art and I don't remember right now, but there was something else in the game or in the box. I believe there's a map. Yes, it did the, come with a map. Yeah, so yeah. maybe that was why they needed extra yeah. space for that map. Could be, but it, it was just, it was bizarre because it was bigger than your standard Super God, Nintendo box. It's so box. sad you didn't have that. I know. <laughs> I know. We all whoever, have, whoever did pick that up, yeah. I... We all have those regrets. I think I've mentioned mine before, but it was yeah. the, uh, the um, Game Boy Advanced or Game Boy... Yeah, Game Boy Advance Mini. Is that micro? what it was called? Or Micro. That's yeah. what it was. Game and they Boy did micro? a... Uh, 20th anniversary one uh, that looked like the Famicom. So it was the Famicom gold mm -hmm. red colors. And I had it in my hand and I put it down and it was the biggest regret of my life. And now they're like $800 on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably legally obligated to sell that for 12 bucks. This is a bad joke because it sellers <laughs> the lowest price is the law. <laughs> oh man, no, oh, there's man. a throwback. That's, that is yeah. for Canadian fans yeah. only right there. Of a certain age. Anyway. <laughs> All right, Norm, that's a beautiful Damn. segue into your turn. All right. Speaking of Canadian fans, uh, I'm going to be talking about Darkest Dungeon, which is a Canadian-developed game. Uh, it's developed by Red Hook Studios, who I believe were formed specifically for this game. Um, based where, where are they based out of? Van oh. Vancouver. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sorry, cut you off. No, that's fine. Darkest Dungeon was the result of a... Well, I don't know if it was the result of a successful Kickstarter, but it became a successful Kickstarter, um, which is kind of in rare supply these days as far as video games go, I think. I mean, you hear about the failures more than success. Yeah, there was initial kick where it's like, all these games are getting millions of dollars and yeah. super successful, and it's like, you know, for every uh, Shovel Knight or Double Fine Adventure, you've got a million totally abandoned projects. Yeah, the bubble, the bubble burst at a certain point for sure. Yeah, so... I consider Darkest Dungeon an RPG. It kind of ticks all the boxes. You have a party, you manage your party, you equip your party, you have stats, you know, turn-based combat and stuff like that. So as far as I'm concerned, it's it's an RPG. Um, kind of a dungeon crawl aspect. Is it is it kind of roguelike as well? I it's think. got the label roguelike for sure, and it does have roguelike elements. I, I, sure, I've seen the trailer to this one. Yeah, my, my opinion is that roguelike is being a bit misused these days. Uh, like if you Google roguelike you're going to get pretty much every 
game that exists. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If it's hard, it's a roguelike for yeah, some reason. It's kind of the two hallmarks of a roguelike, I would say, are um, procedural procedural content generation and, yeah, permadeath uh-huh. in some form. And uh, this does have both of those in a limited fashion. So just a bit about the game and how it is. It's um, the main focus of the game, I would say, is stress. Um, <laughs> That's they, what I need? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they... what. That's why I play games, right? <laughs> so you basically you are you are this heir to this um, this kind of estate, and you're you're basically your mission is to go take back your estate that's been overrun by monsters and horrors and whatnot. Uh, and you basically hire you hire mercenaries to kind of do this, and the mercenaries are your party. But what they wanted to do is they wanted it to be. They wanted to set it aside from traditional, like you know, heroic fantasy by making your the mercenaries incredibly human, and part of that is um, incorporating psychological stressors on the. So these people are damaged goods, essentially. They <laughs> become incredibly damaged goods over time. <laughs> right, I remember <laughs> and, hearing about this. Yeah, and it's so it it's very Lovecrafty in tone. They, um, so Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft. I don't know if you're familiar with his <laughs> his writings, but he's kind of considered the father of the psychological horror. So he kind of brought horror beyond things like mummies and werewolves, right? Yeah, we we knew we've heard of the old gods and yeah, the old yeah. gods. If you've heard of Cthulhu, that's yeah. like you've heard of Lovecraft kind of thing. Basically, where like insanity is the is the bad guy the end game mm-hmm. right oh, uh, sorry to interject but i just wanted to mention one of my favorite games of all time on the pc um is based on lovecraftian horror and that is alone in the dark so which i've talked on the podcast before so right. if you love lovecraftian horror i also recommend alone in the dark so, yeah okay so i'll get right into the music for now um and then we'll talk a bit more about uh, the game after that the composer was uh, Stuart Chatwood and anyone who's familiar with the also Canadian band The Tea Party will may recognize his name. Uh, he's the keyboardist and the bassist for that band, um, and he's also done music on the Prince of Persia games, the modern ones from regular Getty Lee. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. tea, the Tea Party was a blast from the past. There, yeah. So I, I remember seeing them in concert at uh, a local outdoor concert called Edgefest. Did you really? Yeah. So there you I've, go. Yeah. I've seen okay. You've actually seen this. Band. I, I've probably moshed in a mosh pit <laughs> to this band. I lost my shoes in that mosh pit. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, get into that later. <laughs> so I, I think the music in this game doesn't really follow the style that the Tea Party um, kind of pioneered, which I think is yeah. called Moroccan Roll. You can't mosh to it. Yeah, you can't mosh to it. But, well, actually, sorry, I. I you can mosh to it. It's, it's very moshable. Yeah, it's kind of, it, the music set, fits the tone of the game, this kind of stressful thing. And the music has this momentum to it that kind of, specifically the combat music, which, of course, me always choosing battle music. All, also all combat theme Chosen month. battle music. Um, so anyway, right into the music, you'll kind of hear the momentum that this thing has. Uh, it's Combat in the Ruins um, by Stuart Chatwood.
a trifling victory, but a victory nonetheless. You say momentum, but every time I think about like stressful music, it's like not just momentum, but something like a heartbeat. It's basically almost got like a heartbeat rhythm. It, it does kind of have that to it. It's got like very intense kind of war drums yeah. and choir in the background. And yeah, it's it's really well done. And then, you know, it's got this, the horror kind of sounding strings. That yeah, are kind you've of got all those like, it's like the spiders. Like <laughs> I always equate that those like warbling strings with yes, spiders. Exactly. This reminds me of... Uh, this really reminds me of like uh, God of War style music, like just in like any sort of battle sequence in, in any of the God of War games. This yeah. this could have been pulled right out of it. Yeah, it's the the war drums. I love the war drums. But anyway, <laughs> so a bit more about you know the cohesiveness that this game had, which is I think what what made it so have such a big impression on me is it's kind of the art style is this weird almost wood carving wood carving style to like it. that wood block thing where you like. Are you, is it the style where you like you gouge out wood, then ink it, then press it? Is yeah, it that kind of thing? Al- almost, almost. Mm. Um, like really thick outlines, yeah, and then yeah, just uh, uniform colors within the recesses between yeah, the outlines. Yeah, like that almost. wood block printing. Essentially. Yeah, almost, yeah. almost kind of like that. But anyway, it's really effective for the game. It, it fits the atmosphere, and this music just fits right into it. And it's just that. And then the narr- the narration, who I should also shout out, Wayne June is the narrator for this game. And actually, um, yeah, it, I put in a little quote at the end of the music of that you hear when you win. He kind of says, <laughs> says something like, "It's always some kind of backhanded compliment for winning yeah, the battle." Like you, or you've whatever. won for now, kind of a yeah, thing. Exactly. But you will die soon. So <laughs> if you do really well, he'll. Yeah. It's so pretty satisfying. Congratulations, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I've seen this trailer, and that was the standout thing for me. Like, the art style, one thing, but also the narrator. Like, his voice is really fun to listen to. So Yeah, so all, that's, all that working in concert, I, I consider this game a masterpiece. Uh, mm. But kind of on a... Strong words. I do consider it a masterpiece just because of the cohesiveness and the atmosphere it conveys. Having said that, I don't condone... Don't condone. I, I wouldn't recommend finishing this game. <laughs> it's oh, really? so punishing uh, that I, I didn't finish it. I played to the point where I was satisfied, maybe 20 hours, 30 hours. Holy moly. Um, consider it worth worth all my time, but I, I had to call it quits because it was so punishing. Um, yeah. It's just if I were to grind another, you know, 70 hours, or I don't know what it would take to get through to the end. I think at that point it would have kind of drained a lot of the soul out of the game. Yeah. Are that, there difficulties? Like, are there difficulties? <laughs> there's one hard. There's well, that's what I'm yeah. wondering. They it, they actually released a patch which allowed you to turn difficulties down and whatnot. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't fiddle with that. I, yeah, I would rather. I guess I would rather play it the way it was intended. Play it the way it was intended and give up. I don't know. But your your experience enough. actually reminds me of another uh, indie RPG game that I played the exact same way, uh, Legend of Grimrock. Oh, yeah. And I, I remember... I think you've I, talked about that on the podcast, too. I, I might have, but it was another one that I played for quite a while, like 20, 30 hours, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how close I was to beating it, but I'm like, nope, it's too hard. I'm just grinding. I'm like, I've had fun with my time here, but I can't continue. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that, that's uh, that's something I've learned that sometimes it's it's okay to pull the plug on a game rather yeah. than you know grind it out and get sick of it. I am <laughs> bad at pulling the plug on a game. It's I like, am not. I, 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 if if <laughs> I've, I if I've invested the in the game, it's like I'm seeing through this this through to the end. And I, I do the same thing with like books. If I pick up a book and I read the first chapter, and the first chapter is garbage. I'm like, gotta keep going. I don't, guess I don't I'm know. gonna finish this. You are totally a masochist in that way. <laughs> we have this conversation all the time, me and Aaron. But like, yeah, I, like with me, it's like for me. Games are about relaxing and having a good time. It doesn't mean the game has to be easy, but or or have like no difficulty curve or have no challenge to it. But if if I'm not having fun, then I don't want to play. Like <laughs> I guess the perfect example of like what I'm talking about is of it not being easy is something like Overwatch. I get punished in Overwatch constantly. Mm-hmm. Constantly I have bad rounds or I have, you know, I feel like my team wasn't playing well or whatever. I keep going back to it because it's so much fun. And so for me, yeah, for me, if I'm not having fun, why, why keep, why keep punishing myself? Why you'll never play Dark Souls. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I will never play Dark Souls and I probably now will not play Darkest Dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds too hard. Another funny mechanic related to the stress is you'll finish, uh, you'll finish a dungeon and then you'll go back to the town to uh, recuperate, but you'll actually get afflictions. Like you'll contract some disease or you'll get, you know, the affliction of cowardice where it's you get some kind of combat debuff or whatever and you can send your heroes to I think you can send them to the bar or the brothel or <laughs> the church to get yeah, to get to try their, and get their various maladies yeah, taken away. Exactly. And you kinda they sit there while you go out on another mission. So you're yeah. intended to have more than a full party and kind of swap yeah. around confidence it's, down, send them to the brothel. Yeah. So this is the game if I'm thinking of the right one, this is the one where as you play more and more, you become more and more insane, correct? Is that, am I thinking of the right game? Or you might be thinking of, of Eternal Darkness. No. Because that was another Lovecraftian game. I know, I know, where I know but I'm insanity thinking Insanity plays a big factor. I thought I would, is that not this one? No, you're just okay. kind of this unseen director of the parties and stuff, right? So your mission is to get back home or whatever and... <laughs> So everything that bad that happens happens to these guys you hire. You don't. You yourself don't face any like psychological terror. Or yeah, I'm like a big that. weenie, it's, right? Yeah. yeah. So you just hang back. You're the guy funding the expedition and let everybody else throw themselves on the fire for you. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that all you got for Darkest Dungeon? That's about all. Yeah. But all like right. I said, I consider it uh, really well put together. Almost a masterpiece. A masterpiece so. that you shouldn't yeah. finish. A masterpiece. <laughs> That's a weird recommendation. But uh, Norm, since you went last, uh, what have you been playing? I've been playing a game called Renowned Explorers. And it's one that I've been kind of following for a while. I picked it up over Christmas, I think, and then finally started playing it. Um, You basically play this party of explorers that kind of sail the globe looking for discoveries. And uh, it's actually really well put together, um, but it does have some flaws. Uh, but uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I played it for maybe about five or ten hours. Is it a strategy game? Or it's what kind, kind of a of, strategy yeah. game, kind of a exploration strategy tactical game. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a neat little game. Uh, pretty colorful cast of characters. If it had mechanics like uh, Sid Meier's Pirates, I would be all over that. The It's similar to that. So the reason I got it is because it reminded me of an older game that I really loved called Uncharted Waters New Horizons that was for SNES. Um, And you basically, you get this fleet of ships and you sail the globe. 
and you find discoveries and you fight pirates or become a pirate or whatever. <laughs> um, and it was just a really sprawling, simu- well done sprawling simulation game. And this kind of reminded me of it. And it, it did kind of play with play with some of those ideas. Didn't quite um, live up to my expectations, but it was, like I said, it had a lot of heart. Uh, yeah. Good characters, good design. Well, I like a good exploration game, and that seems to be a really popular genre that keeps popping up in like indie games nowadays, like sailing games for some reason. Yeah, like, like sailing and exploration games. It seems to be a, a thing now. I find what um, indie games are really good at doing is like filling in the gaps of like what the major developers aren't doing, mm-hmm. and especially when it's stuff that's like nostalgic, right? So like when people got nostalgic for like point and click adventures all of these point and click adventures started showing up on the store or when people got nostalgic for like 2d platformers, all these 2d platformers started starting and I mean, showing even up and stuff like undertale that. is a perfect example of yeah. that, right? Like yeah. it's, it's when a throwback. It's nostalgic a for Earthbound. 16 <laughs> bit. It's a 16 bit RPG, which isn't a thing that people do, but yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that like games like undertale kick that off. I'd love to see more stuff like that. That isn't sure. like specifically RPG maker. Yeah. Uh, we're, talk about the contest so uh we are going to add renowned explorers to the contest on steam uh and the other two games on there right now are ollie ollie 2 on steam or playstation and chrono trigger on mobile or on the nintendo eShop. um and to win that prize all you got to do is hop on to uh, twitter or facebook and interact with us in any way shape or form that you shall desire uh you can like retweet comment subscribe Although all these good things follow, I guess on Facebook, it's called not subscribing. Uh, but yeah, anything like that gets you an entry into the contest. And for a bonus 10 million entries, AKA instant win, it is to leave us a review on iTunes. And the other thing I wanted to mention, I don't think I've said this before, but it would be very helpful if when you left that review on iTunes, you tweet or Facebook messages me that you have done it because <laughs> it's very hard for me to go in there periodically and remember how many reviews we had it's hard to win if we don't know who you are exactly so yeah if you if you tweet at us and tell us you get left us a review that's that's pretty much an instant win so uh because that helps us that helps us a lot uh gets us more listeners which is something we're always trying to do um so yeah that's it for part three of rpg month hope you enjoyed it thanks for listening and we will catch you guys on the next one